those moments are probably what I'll miss most when I retire. It's like today after practice, just sitting with Kevin, Nimi, Lucas, and even Javi today. It was Those are the moments I think I'll miss the most. And so I would say cherish cherish the moments with teammates. Like hopefully you're on a team where everybody gets along. And I know that's not entirely possible, but I think for the most part, there'll be a couple people you definitely get along with and people that, you know, maybe you don't, but you need to learn about them and hear more about their story and why they play or what their hopes are and things like that because it really is a unique thing to get to play professional sport in another country and for some people it's their own country but you might as well learn as much as you can while you're here. Another season in the books. The podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and, because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode here on the pod. Before we get into this week's interview, I have to apologize in advance. The sound quality is just not great in today's interview, and the microphone struggles are real. I had to send off one of the mics to the microphone cemetery. Rest in peace, little snowball. The other one I thought was still working fine, but uh, turns out it did not pick up the sound as well as I would have liked. And the new addition to my microphone family worked phenomenally. And that's the microphone used by this week's guest. So bear with me. Uh, Hopefully I'll get this figured out. But uh, anyway, from sunny San Diego, Johnny D joins us this week and tells us about his one and only college scholarship offer, his time uh, playing shortstop at the Little League World Series in Pennsylvania, what his favorite deodorant is, and why trash-talking is part of his repertoire, which seems crazy, right, after hearing his, uh, his sweet voice here at the beginning of the episode, because obviously he does cherish his time with his teammates. But when he's on the court, uh, trash-talking is, uh, is part of the deal. So without any further ado, here's Johnny D. Good afternoon, Johnny D. Here we are in this lovely... I don't know, do we have these in the U.S.? Do you say favorite? I don't know how to pronounce it, so it's... uh... (laughs) Well, we're having our... I'm trying a matcha tea for the first time today, and yours is... uh, Well, strawberry, banana, orange, something. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, Well, thank you so much for getting together. Welcome to the podcast. Of course. And uh, first question, I was wondering if you can remember, what's your first um, sports memory? It doesn't have to be basketball. Wow. memory of a sport in general from when you're little gosh that's an interesting question because like the first thing that pops in my mind is what my parents have told me about me just growing up loving basketball watching michael jordan videos and playing but i think if i had to think 
like my actual first personal memory of me like actually playing a sport it'd probably be baseball related playing in little league and i still kind of look back on those those days of you know you had i don't know 10 15 teams you played twice a week and it was all your buddies on different teams and you had like you were an MLB team. We were the Braves. So you just remember, like, what your record was, what your batting average was, and trying to compete with your friends. So I think that's probably my first real sports memory I can I draw back on. You were intense. I, I played uh, Little League, too, but I can't remember what my batting average was <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, and I had two older brothers, so we were, like, pretty into it. And the ballpark was right down the street from our house. Yep. So we were there constantly in the batting cage. And yeah. But uh, you sound serious. I'm hyper competitive, and uh, <laughs> I would say most of my friends to this day are still friends from Little League, believe it or not. And we had a really, really strong like Little League with great parents and things like that. And so it's actually funny because like one of my coaches actually made like a end of the year stats booklet for us. Okay. And so I was cleaning my room like last summer, and I, I popped it out and was like, "Yo." I texted my buddy like, yo, when you were on the mound, I was batting 500 or something like that. Like, you couldn't stop me or something like that. So some of that stuff's kind of fresh right now. I'm trying to think, when you're in Little League, how old are you exactly? You That's can, like elementary school, right? You can Fifth start, yeah, I think. So T-ball, T-ball, I believe I was six years old. Right. So then you go T-ball, minor A, double A, triple A. Majors was 10 to 12 is all I remember. Fifth grade, fourth grade, and sixth grade were like the major years of – this sports memory that I can yeah. recall yeah. very vividly apparently well my next we'll, we'll get to this because this morning actually I was on Wikipedia kind of okay. learning about you because <laughs> I'm like alright I have to prepare this interview and so we'll get into that but um, and my next question I always ask these questions like would you say you came from a sports minded family and after reading a little bit about yeah. you this morning I'm like Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, before you get into it, but I was like, wow, your grandfather mm-hmm. played for the Indiana Pacers yep. and yep, he yep. was in the U.S. Olympics in yep. 1968 in yep. Mexico. Yep. And I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but I interviewed a guy a couple, like a month ago, who's a Spanish legend, basketball no way. legend, named Vicente Ramos. Okay. And he was on the Spain team that played in Mexico. No in kidding. What the heck? So they played the U.S. He played against yeah. your grandfather. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, my grandfather, we have the Olympic gold medal in our house. My grandfather's passed away, but even when he was alive, he was not one for accomplishments or any type of, like, even telling you what he did in his life. So he actually lost it, believe it or not, and we had to reach out to the Olympic community, communi- uh, what do they call that, committee, and uh, they actually, I think, gave us a new one. We paid for it. I don't know the whole story, but I know it's now sitting in my parents' living room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That would be the worst feeling yeah. to, to all of a sudden realize that you've lost your I don't think he cared. <laughs> I really don't. Like, he was not. He was very humble. Yeah, very, very, very humble. And it was kind of cool. I got to spend a year in Kansas City, and he got to come to some games. And so to see him have a little bit of pride in me playing basketball was a very unique thing for me to get to see. And he was six foot eight. Yep. So he was a big man. Back yep. Then. His brother's six ten. My dad's six five. So. There's some size in my family. Wow. So did you ever have the guard post conversation at all? Or? No, because I wanted to believe in my heart of hearts that I'd eventually be the same size <laughs> as the rest of them and that, you know, something would happen. But, uh, no, I don't – my dad is 6'5", but he probably – he loved basketball more than he, more than football. Um, he kind of views himself as a guard. and 
think my grandfather was kind of more of a guy like back in that era who he came in and fouled. Like he was a guy who just came in and tried, tried to play defense and play hard and um, probably wasn't a great post-up player by any means, but just was a hard-working blue-collar guy from mm-hmm. Kansas City. Wearing the short shorts yeah, and the Converse yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever they were wearing. Short haircut, everything. You yeah. got it. That's awesome. Um, and then your dad played a couple years in the NFL. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm wondering, obviously you talked about baseball. Did you play football as a kid too? No, my parents didn't really let me play football. I, uh, I think I made the seventh grade flag football team in my middle school when I was in sixth grade but that was my only football experience I wanted to play tackle one year and my dad said okay but if you do that you're not playing basketball or travel basketball or one of the things and I was just like well I know I love basketball and it's like one of my favorite things so why would I give that up to do something that I'm not even sure I really like so do you think they were worried about the contact 100 percent my dad had five knee surgeries had another surgery I don't remember what his back problems have stemmed since he retired and he only played two and a half years so um, I think that neither of them really want to be playing football I'm not sure who it was more that didn't want me to but um, they kind of had a group mentality on let's steer them towards baseball and basketball and those were easily my two favorite sports growing up and not only did your dad and your grandfather play, but your mom was a cross-country runner. Yeah, fun. Give props to the yeah, mom. for sure. And, and really, it's her servant heart that is why she did that. Apparently, she's explained the story that because of Title IX passing during that era in the in the eighties, the football team was actually at risk of. Um, being disbanded if you will at Tulsa University and she worked in the athletic department as like a statistician or something like that so she kind of like took one for the team and joined the cross-country team at Tulsa for a year and they're kind of able to keep all their sports that way yeah super super weird I don't think so I haven't seen her run since I mean I think she prefers you know biking and peloton and things like that now because I don't think running was ever one of her hobbies but um she did it now she can say she was a collegiate athlete which is pretty cool there you go um all right so back to the baseball thing you were pretty competitive and according to wikipedia your team made the little league world series which my family watches that on television because you know my brothers and i we all played baseball when we were little and those games are actually really good Mm -hmm. and the kids are talented and it's so exciting to watch because they're so passionate and there's so many people there watching the games um to think that now i'm sitting across from somebody (laughs) that played when they were little is really cool so where was the tournament is it always in florida or do they always in williamsport pennsylvania Pennsylvania. yeah it's it's a literally a little league heaven if you will of two amazing fields batting cages this dormitory that they kind of like treat like the olympic uh sleeping arrangement where you got all these different buildings where certain teams stay and i think we shared a, a dormitory with the canada team all state-of-the-art stuff big game rooms cafeteria all of that incredible experience for sure. we made it to the u.s championship so um we end up losing to hawaii who which weirdly enough my grandma lived in the exact same city that team was from so and they came out and visited um but we lost in the u.s final and then won the third place consolation against japan which is super cool because not everyone got to play against the international team so getting to experience that was uh, really fun Unbelievable, and you played shortstop. Play shortstop, which doesn't surprise me. I feel like you're quick, you jump high, you'd be all over like those line drives. Yeah, you know? it's so funny because um, I'm sure we'll get into this. My 
skill set in basketball is much more offense oriented but in baseball I felt like the one my strongest suit was for sure defense because I did probably why I quit baseball was I just didn't know how to hit a curveball or a slider or any of that and so it's um, gonna be one of the toughest things to do as an athlete to hit a baseball I was talking to my teammate Edwin about that the other day was like man if you had 100 tries to hit a pitch going 100 miles an hour, how many would you hit? Or, like, even tennis-wise, like, do you think you could return a serve from Federer or Djokovic or Nadal or hit an MLB pitcher? And he was like, man, I think eventually I'd be able to hit a serve back, but I don't know if I'd ever make contact on an MLB and pitcher. the fear of that ball coming at you and hitting you. That ball's not ball, soft either. Right. Yeah. Tennis ball would hurt. Yeah. It definitely would hurt, but a baseball? Yeah. I, I have so much respect for those, those athletes, and I feel like I'd – eventually be able to figure it out with the timing and all that but it's an incredible uh fast twitch just mine to be able to pick up that pitch coming at you so fast you see these two pearly whites Mm -hmm. completely false baby really (laughs) i was in third grade and we were down at the baseball park down the street from my house my brother trevor was um i was like nine he was 15 at the time hit a high pop fly and I was a little tomboy I mean complete you know I got this I got this <laughs> bye, bye, bye. and it was this high pop fly and it no. went thunk right into my no. mouth and so yeah I've got two metal posts and completely fake front teeth my mom still has like nightmares to this day that had I should have to... just pushed you out of the way but um, that had to have been a bloody nightmare it was it was many years of braces and surgeries and Gosh. whatnot. But I, I mean, I love the game, and I, I played outfield my whole yeah. uh, senior year in softball, fast okay. pitch. Um, so just I'm like a dog, just throw yeah. the ball and let me run it down. <laughs> it really is a fun game. Mm-hmm. I really do love it, and it's something that sometimes I wish I hadn't given up so early. But at the same time, it's kind of fun to just look back and like I actually like watching baseball now. So uh, it's a good it's a good sport. Which a lot of Europeans would say. How do you enjoy watching yeah, baseball? Yeah. It's like paint drying. Yeah. It's a three-hour game. Yeah. What would you tell them? Oh, they, they love watching <laughs> soccer where there's one or two goals a night. Like, I'm trying to get into this game they have out here, and it's sometimes it's so difficult for me to pay attention. Like, I don't know. I guess at least with baseball, I know I can turn around and like do something else. In soccer, like if you turn around for a second, you might miss the only action of an entire game. So I hate that. But <laughs> yeah. They're right. I will say, like trying to explain the rules of baseball – very difficult. Like, I feel like at least soccer makes a little more sense logistically yeah. and There's legally. a lot to go, that goes into baseball yeah. that, that people don't realize. Kind of like American football, too. I mean, there's a lot that goes into American so football. So many strange rules. Yes, and strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so when would you say that you uh, got further into, became more serious about basketball? Because you just said that you stopped playing baseball soon. How soon is soon? Like, after... The, I mean, you play in front of – so the U.S. championship game, I'm pretty sure it was on ABC. So, like, my my one friend who didn't make the all-star team was like, you guys peaked at 12, at least I didn't peak at 12. So, which she wasn't wrong. Like, we got to play on ABC in front of a million people on TV. And I I don't remember, the stadium was like 40,000 or something like that. So, 25, 40, I don't remember. Um, Going back home and playing on, like, fields that weren't perfect, that had, you know, these little holes in them or – like places where your teeth could really get popped because it was an uneven surface was just like, man, this is this isn't the same. Like I don't know, you go from the mountaintop of baseball as a 12-year-old to back to the bottom tier, getting ready for high school, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm I think I'm done with this. Plus, baseball, like you said, is such a long game. And they play so many games, and I wanted to play Division One basketball. That was my goal, like basically from 13 on. So I just decided, like, 
in California, there's a lot of good basketball players. So if I'm going to do this, I'm probably going to have to devote everything, and that was kind of the decision. When did you start playing AAU? I played AAU pretty early on. I would say fifth or sixth grade. Oh, yeah. So was that at the same time as baseball? baseball? Yeah, I missed a I missed a season of AAU because of uh, the Little League World Series, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So from a young age, from thirteen, which is amazing to me, because I I wasn't aware that I could go to college and have a college scholarship until I was like sixteen because I played summer fast pitch. Hmm. And then finally they roped me over to the dark side and I started playing summer AAU and I stopped playing fast pitch. And it wasn't until I went to those AAU tournaments and I saw the college coaches and I kind of heard the adults talk that I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is a a possibility for Mm -hmm. me. You knew about it since you were 13. Yeah. And it's interesting because my parents in no way, shape or form forced me to play sports uh, discouraged me from not playing sports um, or even steered me in a way that I need to play college sports to have my school paid for. They just, I don't know, I think growing up, like you said, with the, the family tradition of having two family members playing professional sports and knowing their route was they went college to pro, I think the natural progression for my mind was, well, I eventually want to get paid to play basketball, so I think first I have to go to college. And the college system in, in the States is... It's big. March Madness is a you know billion dollar enterprise. So I think I just fell in love with the idea of playing collegiate basketball and wanting wanting to hopefully accomplish that. So interesting that you say that about your parents, and I love to hear that because you would think maybe that from two parents that were both collegiate athletes, yeah. they would be on it, mm-hmm. practicing with you, kind of not forcing you, but just very hands on, intense. And maybe they were hands on, but kind of in a healthier yeah. manner, I would yeah. say. Uh, which is great to hear that because nah. I think a lot of children experience the opposite. For sure. And I think it's even more so now with social media and things like that because now you have to keep up with the Joneses on who's training who and how this person's doing in this tournament and, and such. I do think I grew up in a little little more simpler time in that regard. But my parents were very hands-off in terms of you know my expectations and the way I performed. Like There was never like didn't feel weird if I had a bad game like my parents loved me any less or anything like that and I know that's the story for some for some people I I can still remember the only time my dad was upset with me was in high school like junior year I just didn't play hard like I I was maybe a little bit entitled and not grateful for the opportunity and I didn't play hard and I just didn't look like I wanted to be out there and my dad said hey if you're gonna act like that on the court and not want to be there let me know ahead of time so i I can i can save my time and that dug deep had nothing to do with i actually think i had like 16 points that game i just there was an attitude about me that he did not like and he was like this is you should be grateful to be able to play this game and get the opportunity and even play at this level so that dug deep and i try to play hard the rest of my life because of that right and i think your passion is why you've gotten to where you are where you are today But part of me, because my dad wasn't an NFL player and my grandfather wasn't a NBA player, I can't help but think to myself and wonder, did you ever put that pressure on yourself to be like as good as your dad or as good as your grandfather? Yeah, because, no, for sure, because uh, growing up, like our guest bedroom had my dad's 84 and 48 jerseys for the Seahawks and the Colts. My grandfather's 15 with the USA on it. Um, And so, like, even if... 
the, I didn't want to put the pressure on me. Like maybe s- subconsciously, I'm looking at that thing and, well, where's my jersey going to go? You know. And I tell that story. I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to share my testimony with some youth groups and things like that in churches back home. And um, I put, I did put some pressure on myself. And so that's why my story is such to where my senior year, I didn't have any scholarship offers to go to college. And I thought maybe, you know, I was going to have to go a different route, maybe go the church route with seminary or something like that, or, you know, play at a small Christian school and figure out what to do next that, you know, basketball wasn't going to be the division one experience I expected. Um, but honestly, that time was more of a learning uh, experience for me and just understanding that, like, sometimes that pressure is unhealthy and that pressure like sometimes there's things out of your control that, that you know you can't change and it wasn't my fault that I'm 5'11 6 foot you know not that athletic shooting guard not a point guard and so like I understood why teams didn't really need me at, at in the collegiate level so um, it, it kind of took a, a breaking of all of that to finally just be like you know what for me my my lifestyle was God where do you want me to be and what's next and I trust you and so that was a big change in direction for my life I think senior year I can only imagine and which is why I'm assuming that your dad and even your grandfather and your mom they didn't want to put pressure on you and make yeah. you feel like you need to be do what we did you know and, and as a parent you know when I have kids someday I don't want them to feel that pressure either yeah and but as a kid even though your parents don't put that pressure on you yeah. you might still put it on yourself yeah you know that would just be it would be difficult um okay so you just talked and said that you didn't have scholarship offers when you were a senior in high mm-hmm. school and thanks to wikipedia i read this morning that your senior year you were averaging 32.8 yeah. point points yeah. per game and i thought i think to myself <laughs> how in the world is it possible that a player is averaging more than 30 points a game and does not have any division one scholarship offers can you explain that to me i don't i don't know other than you know it was at the time 511 not that fast and they told me my shot wouldn't be able to get off at the division one level and things like that so it was a very frustrating time because like you said I believed in my heart that I did everything I could to earn that scholarship even the hometown teams weren't really that interested in me and so it was yeah I felt I did but I used it as a chip on my shoulder and I will say there was one coach who 100% believed in me from the beginning and it was my assistant coach of the school I ended up going to and he was like look I promise you you come here and we don't have a scholarship for you right now because they're all used up. But I promise you, if you come here, you're going to have an amazing career. You're probably going to break the scoring record. You're going to average 13 points as a freshman. He had this belief in me that I don't even know if I really had in myself other than, like, I just wanted to do it. He actually believed I would do it. And uh, That's amazing. It was why I chose to go to USD as a walk-on, um, the school from my home hometown, University of San Diego. And it just so happened to be that a kid didn't come back for summer school because he had something going on at home and I don't know, maybe didn't like San Diego. I don't know the whole story. But they ended up offering me that scholarship kind of right then and there because it opened up and the rest was kind of history for, for that experience. Which I just feel like that was a huge leap of faith. Like an incredible leap of faith. Bye bye. Bye bye.
$58,000 a year. Oh my word! $58,000! I, here's what's interesting too, is I actually was given a scholar, or offered a scholarship to Portland State, which is a Division One school. And I took my only visit, my only official visit uh, of my high school career to that university. Loved the coaching staff, hated the school, didn't like the area, and was like, I don't think this is for me. And so to say no to that and tell my parents, look, I think I'm going to go to USD for $56,000 a year because when I took my unofficial visit, I just felt like this was where I was supposed to be and where God was telling me to go and where a coach actually believed in me was, like you said, it took a leap of faith. But I knew in my heart that was the right decision and that eventually, whether you pay the money or not, or you know, I didn't know ahead of time I was going to get it that year, the scholarship, I knew eventually this was going to be the right decision for my future, for my career, and just for the overall experience of what I was going to be able to do and the people I was going to be able to meet and the fact that my family had to come to all of my games in college was going to be worth it down the road. How close to home is USD? 35 minutes. So it was in some ways the perfect amount or the perfect distance away where it wasn't so close, but it was also far enough away to where my mom did my laundry quite a bit in my college <laughs> uh, career because I didn't like sitting at the uh, laundromat dormitory style. Really? Yeah. Okay. My mom's a sweet. You didn't so. have a, a manager? Washing clothes for the team? We did team stuff, but not like the uh, okay. your own stuff. Sure. So sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I went to the University of Minnesota about a twenty five minute drive from my oh. parents' house. They weren't doing my laundry, <laughs> but Good. They, came, they came to every game and it was really nice to have friends and family there in the stands. I don't think my parents missed one home game except for when my sister was playing at UC Irvine, they would like one would go to that one and then the other one would go to my game. So it was like that's unforgettable and family memories that'll last a lifetime. And if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you started in every game but one yeah. your freshman year mm-hmm. as a walk-on. Yeah. You're blowing my mind yeah. right now, Johnny. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I remember it all started because our inter-squad scrimmage, I wasn't even starting in that, but we had this high recruit who was like just a mental head case at the time, and he couldn't get his shoes tied. Like, I'm not joking. Like, just shoes weren't ready. So coach freaked out and said, Ben, get off the court. And I went and stepped in, and I had like 20 in the inter-squad scrimmage, and then started the rest of my career other than senior night freshman year. Wow. Yeah. Unreal. It was fun. Well, and before you had made a comment about uh, college coaches thinking that you were only 5'11", 6'0", guard, you weren't going to be able to get your shot off. Mm-hmm. The other day I was watching your practice in Magariños, and you had the ball, shot clock was running down, I think you were at like the top of the key, and do you know who was guarding you? Felipe? Felipe! Yeah. <laughs> Felipe, how tall is Felipe? 7'2", I believe. 7'2", yeah. so with this wingspan, yeah. he puts his arm up and he's now like... 10 feet more than 10 feet tall and I don't know what you did with the dribble but you kind of got him on his heels and then just let it fly yeah and just nailed it and I was sitting in the stands with a big smile on my face like oh and then Felipe I don't know if he just kind of smiled at you or what but 
I just, I, when you said that about the other college coaches, I'm like, booyah, grandma, really? like, there it is, right there. No, that's it. Like, I had to believe in myself to be able to get it off, and that was something I worked on a lot. I was like, all right, you don't think I can get it off, then what can I do on my end to, you know, make you believe I will? And it was just to continue to shoot a lot, practice, game shots with, you know, a much faster um, rhythm of shooting and getting it off quicker. And so over time, that that developed. Right, and maybe you felt like you were getting worse before you got better. I don't know. But when I try to make my shot quicker mm-hmm. because my shot's not very fast, it's like, oh, it's not going in, it's yeah. not going in. But eventually, yeah. you probably cross that barrier where all of a sudden it's like, yeah. I got it. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's not for everyone because I've, I've noticed, like, Luka Doncic, like, I was watching his game last night, like, he doesn't really shoot that fast, but he doesn't need to because he's tall. So it depends on your game. And, like, for me, it's very important. And the way my shot, like, mechanically works, speeding it up doesn't really do much to the mechanics of it as long as I got my base right. So I think kind of trial and error and over time figuring out, like, what works for you ended up, like, helping me to – kind of I'm still making adjustments to my shot but at least have some sort of a foundation of where I like to and how fast I like to get it off well and not only are you a good three-point shooter but I also saw um, in the 2013-14 season you led the NCAA in free throw percentage I don't know how many free throws you took but I'm assuming you took a fair amount you were shooting 95% from the free throw line. So you were the number one player in the whole nation. That's pretty sweet. It was cool. I got a little plaque from the NCAA they sent me after the season that's hanging in my room. So, no, that was it was a fun thing. That's why I'm so disappointed this year. I'm shooting like 82, which is like a <laughs> career low. So um, so much of the shoot, free throw shooting is mental, though. And, like, I noticed in college I shot four to five free throws a game. And here sometimes I'll shoot two in a game or go two games without shooting a free throw. And, um, you kind of you have to learn to not dominate. You have to learn to control your thoughts and just go up there with confidence because when you're in rhythm, it's a lot easier than when you're not in rhythm. But it shouldn't really matter because if you've worked on it, like it should still be the same result. Do you think about anything? Do you sing a song? Or do you just try There's to a Bible verse I've, I've quoted from time to time in my head. And sometimes I try to think about nothing like because I think human nature and fear-based kind of thoughts initially want to pop in your head like oh I can't miss this but I've noticed that when I think that I'm probably gonna maybe miss it like I don't always miss it when I think that but it's better to just go up there with almost no thoughts and just pure confidence like I've done this a million times like why would I not make it now right no one's guarding me it's not like there's someone closing out on me quickly that can block it so if I can make 117 of these in a row with nobody watching why can't I do it right now I don't remember if I was talking with Mike or who I was talking to, but they said that they would count in their head. One plus one is two. Interesting. Two plus two is four. Because supposedly your brain can't really do two things at once. And so if you're counting, then you're not thinking about if you could miss. Interesting. Or, and that's why other people get up and they might sing a little song in their head. Um, but yeah, if there's a Bible verse or something. Yeah. Like something that you can say and get your mind off thinking about, oh, you can't miss this shot. Yeah. Because once that negative thought comes in, then... It changes everything. It does. No, I know Mike. Mike told me something straight. He said he doesn't like shooting free throws because it messes with the shot, uh, and so I kind of <laughs> let him have that one. But I was like, I I don't understand that. But to each their own. Yeah. Another three point shooter. Um, okay, so this podcast is called Another Season in the Books, which makes a reference to your studies and um, just another season while studying. When you went to college, did you know what you wanted to study? Did you kind of just say, "Give me something general. I'm focusing on basketball, and I'll get it done." 
Uh, initially, I was thinking I either wanted to get my degree in theology or engineering. Um, I didn't fully understand, like, I grew up in the church, but I didn't fully understand the distinctions between some of the denominations. And so theology wasn't really a study that Catholic schools offer. So that kind of got ruled out pretty early. And then I thought engineering because, I don't know, I heard, you know, they generally get jobs and innovative and things like that. It wasn't really my personality, but I was interested by it. And my coach told me it was a five-year program, so I was like, probably not going to be here for five years. So I was like, well, what are they, what's the best academic degree they got to offer here? And it was their business school. So I just decided to do business is what a lot of the other teammates were doing. They had a good business school, great network within San Diego. And so I went with, I think initially I was finance, but I moved to administration because that's what my dad did. And it kind of allows you to get a little bit of everything in the business world. And eventually um, you make that decision. Did you have any sort of problem adjusting to college life, whether it was on the court or off the court in the classroom, just the higher expectations, the workouts in the morning, in the afternoon, getting study table in, that adjustment to college life, was it difficult at all? Study table bothered me um, because I've always been someone who's like more or less disciplined and I don't like being told when I need to be disciplined. I want to be able to like schedule it in myself. So that bothered me. Academic, I, it put me in econ first semester, which I didn't like because that's one of, I think, your harder classes. So that was really the only class I didn't do too well in college. Um, but I think after that first semester, I was able to adjust to how much effort I needed to put in. And I will be honest with you, one of my regrets in college was not spending more time on my academics. I think I was more or less focused on getting that B plus A minus than I was actually learning the material. So if I could go back, that'd be the one thing I would change. I think that's something that happens to a lot of us. Yeah. And as we get older, we look back, we realize how expensive a college education is and how we would have taken advantage more yeah. of our classes or we would have been more interested. Maybe um, read that textbook, like actually read it rather than just highlighted to say I highlighted it because right. those are expensive textbooks and there's actually a lot of good information in there that I wish I would have, I don't know, spent more time on, when, especially when college was getting paid for. Yeah, exactly. Um, adjustments on the floor, because I talked to a lot of athletes, especially on the women's side, that the whole physical training, weights and running, was uh, just like smack in the yeah. face, a wake-up call. Yeah. For you on the men's side, did you find that to be true at all? <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, I thought I worked out a lot in high school, but to the degree it is in college, I don't think I really understood. Because I can remember early on, me and my teammate, Nick, were just like, dude, we'd be laying on the floor after practice like, I'm dead. Like, I can't move. Like, how am I supposed to go to class? Things like that. So, and it is interesting because it doesn't take too long for that becomes more or less normal for your body. And so you learn to adapt and get used to having weights, running, individual work, team practice, study table, class. And uh, it's why I think college is so great in that in that regard that you can kind of do two things at once, two things at once, and learn uh, time management skills. Yeah, it's crazy to look back and think how different my senior year experience was compared to my freshman yeah. year, and just my mentality and yeah. my <laughs> my yeah. ability to cope. <laughs> yeah, mentality for sure. Um, okay, and did you do summer school? I did. Later? I okay. did. So you got your credits. Which made it, like, to me, made it a little easier because I got two of my classes out of the way, three of my classes out of the way in the summer and only took four classes a semester. So it wasn't that full of a load. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So graduation day comes and your college career comes to an end. 
did you know about overseas basketball? I'm assuming you did, because if you knew about college sports when you were 13, I'm assuming you knew about uh, the life overseas. Is that what you were kind of expecting for yourself? At 13, I was thinking NBA, to be compl completely honest, because I thought I'd grow to be 6'5", and be 6'5", and shoot it. I mean, there's probably a roster spot somewhere out there. So it, it took a long time for me to realize, hey, you're not going to be growing 6'5", you're not going to magically have some John Morant athleticism. So um, I would say my junior and senior year, I started thinking, all right, maybe overseas is a good option for me. Um, plus, I had two teammates that were from overseas that kind of grew up in the system and came over here even though they they never got paid while they were over there but had experienced like you know the club dynamic from an early age and so they kept telling me like look overseas is a great option you can get paid and practice is actually easier over there they said <laughs> you don't do as much shell drill they said um and so my senior year was like all right let's start to think about it so then I'm assuming you got an agent, yeah. and you've been playing for several years now. So mm -hmm. give me a quick recap. Where all have you played? Played in Bosnia for one month on a one-month trial contract. Left for Poland after that month was up. Finished the year there. Um, my agent said, hey, they're offering you to come back. Uh, to Bosnia? No, to Poland. I didn't like this. Like, I loved the people. The city was ten, like 20,000 people. I was like... Are we going to have any other offers? He said, of course. I said, all right, let's go with something else. Didn't get any other offers. So took a year off, technically. Um, just trained. Worked as a substitute teacher. Worked as a bouncer at a music venue. Really? Um, hung out with my best friend for his... He was basically training for the Navy. So while he was doing that, I was training for basketball. Um, and then got a call... When on you were substitute teaching, was this at a high school, a middle school? I was young kids. Yeah, it was K through seven. Okay. Yeah, never got eighth graders, but I had, it was it was a K through eight school. But I was somewhere between those kids and absolutely loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. So were you the sub that would come in and like put a movie on or what no? Come on. Well, maybe I did. Uh, <laughs> no. What? The science guy or what? Generally, they gave me a pretty good lesson plan, and what I learned about like K through five is a lot of it is more or less daycare. And a little bit of like, let's help them with the math, the math multiplication tables, things like that. And I actually helped at a Montessori, Montessori school, okay. which is more of like the kids teaching themselves with yeah. the empowerment of a teacher. That's a thing here too in Spain. They I've heard that. Yeah. Okay. I actually really liked it. And uh, I just had a really good relationship with a lot of the, the young kids. I had a fun, like it was a blast to be honest. And I feel like they welcomed me a lot. So I actually enjoyed that season. I'm grateful for it. So then after that uh, year off, then where do you go? I was getting ready to retire and say, all right, I got my one year of professional basketball. And then my agent texted me and said, hey, um, there's a club in Spain, second division Spain. They don't have any money, but uh, it's a good league. If you come, you can you know, blow up from here on. I was like, well, how much is a little money? And it was very little money. And I was like, I've worked so hard for this. And the guys on the golf courses was like, why not? Like, you can make money. You can have a career the rest of your life. Like, go play and I was like that's that's right so I came to Vitoria Spain played for our Barry and they've been in Spain ever since okay so you I, I didn't realize that you were in Vitoria and then you also played in San Sebastian yep and you also played in Sevilla Sevilla went from Vitoria to Sevilla to San Sebastian okay and then after San Sebastian now here in Madrid here in Madrid mm -hmm. okay Wow, interesting. I wish there was a women's team in Sevilla because there Amazing aren't, city. There aren't uh, women's basketball teams in the first division in the south, basically. Really? All yeah. of the south? There used to be one in a town called Huelva, 
but they folded financially and they disappeared. But Cordoba, Sevilla, Granada, they don't have a Division One team. I wonder why. I know, like, Sevilla's had a hard time getting getting support even from ACB teams and. Mm. In the south of Spain, so I, I, I'm curious, wonder why. Yeah, because they're beautiful cities. Yeah, I mean, doesn't Salamanca have one of the better teams for the women's division? Oh yeah. There's there's no men's team there, but that seems like an amazing city. Yeah, ah, you you guys went to Salamanca yeah, I really, a couple really weeks ago. Like, man, this would be a fun place to live. Did you find the frog? No, he looked for no. it forever. <laughs> you never saw it. Never saw it. And you couldn't ask anybody. No, we were just like. <laughs> oh no. We were at the end of our trip, and we were just like, all right, we tried. At the astronaut. No, I didn't even know no, about that okay. one. Okay, there's another big door, and there's like an astronaut okay. that you're supposed to find. Oh, two strikes, man. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, so you go overseas, you're in Spain, um, Poland, Bosnia. Are there any quick stories you have about culture shock or customs that you saw that you were like, oh, that's different, or traditions, game time stuff, fans? Um, I don't know. Does anything stand out to you? I would say culture shock wise with Poland was interesting because I'm so used to the Western ideas of the United States and I would say the United States, Great Britain, Spain, and maybe even France, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of differences in terms of like in the Spain way, the I love how family oriented it is, I love how the work life balance is, um, I love how they love to eat. Um, so those are different ones but I think Poland was the most interesting and my dad one who picked up on this was they just seemed so content modest it wasn't like a fashion show every day not that that's a bad thing but it just seemed I think I learned a little bit about it going to some of the concentration camps and learning a little about the history of Poland and how um, they were invaded by Germany and then Russia and, and things like that and how their kind of approach on life was a much more simplistic like what we have we're grateful for and it just seemed like not as a materialistic ideology as maybe the Western Europe and the United States. And so I really appreciated that. And fan-wise, I still think those were some of the best fans of my playing career because of there just wasn't much to do in a cold city like that. So it was really, really fun. That's an interesting take on a culture and a society that I... I haven't heard anybody talk about a country like that. So I could be way off, but it was, it was what I at least took from it. Mm-hmm. I remember I was on a train one day, and uh, I I feel like I kind of looked Polish. I got kind of got the blonde hair, and um, I asked the person said that they knew I was American immediately, and I was like, "How did you know I was American immediately?" I'm like, "You smile too much." And I was just kind of like, "Interesting, <laughs> very interesting." You haven't lived through a yeah, war. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or experienced real hunger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah, it was a really interesting thing to say. Yeah, because I do feel like Americans are easy to pick out. But at the same time, you're a young guy. Yeah. You could fit the bill. At least know? in Poland. I don't know. I thought more there, more so there than most places in Europe. Maybe Sweden, but that's about right. it. And speaking of fans, I you would think Spaniards, like, they've got that Latin blood. They yeah. would be these crazy fans, whatnot. But this year, we actually played a couple of games in France, and their fans were unbelievable. And they had these chants huh. and these songs, and the gym was packed, and yeah. it was a really cool experience. Um, so for you to talk about fans in Poland and how they were kind of crazy, yeah, really just, I don't know, it, I feel like it goes against the grain. Yeah, like, agreed. And I feel like this is the first year I've had a really good fan base in Spain with Estudiantes. But, and I loved my other three places, but it just wasn't, basketball wasn't the priority, nor was it something that people, I think, loved like they love football. 
out here. So you're kind of just like a secondary yeah. option, I guess. All right, Johnny. Changing directions a little bit here. There's something we have to talk about. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that we have a friend in common. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned him previously. His name is? Mike Carlson. Mike Carlson. Mikey. And we also know, well, I coincided with Mike when we were both in Logroño, and then you coincided with him in San Sebastian. Mm-hmm. And this year, he is now the co-host of a podcast, which is called... Can Do Podcast. The Can Do Podcast. I'm a, friend of the, hear... I'm a friend of the program. <laughs> I can just hear him saying this, Can Do. And so when I heard that you were on his podcast, I was like, I have to listen to this interview before interviewing Johnny himself. And so I'm listening to the podcast, and you know what stood out to me and what I learned about you? I'm curious. And what I would assume that the listeners out there would be surprised to know as well after listening to the last 40 minutes because you're a very (laughs) well-spoken, humble, you've talked about your faith, um, you just seem very grounded. And in this interview with Mike, I learned that Johnny D likes to trash talk. I love it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Is this true? 100%. 100%. And it's actually one of the first things I told Coach Hotha was like, look, I'd one of the ways I like can practice is I try to like trash talk to get myself more motivated. <laughs> it's just been a thing. I, like I told you earlier, I'm hyper competitive. So it's a way for me to have a lot more fun. And I think when you talk about that shot over Felipe, I think I said a couple words to him after <laughs> I made it. So it's fun. Well, I, I was also surprised when I heard you talking about this on the podcast because I've watched a couple practices. Yeah. So I've been on the lookout. I'm yeah. like, does he really or does he not? And I can't say that I've ever really seen it, but maybe you say it so low under your breath that it's not noticeable. I, or maybe you see the girls in the stands, you know, and they're beyond my best behavior. I don't know. No, I've been a little bit more calm this year, I think. Partly it is I haven't had the, the season I was hoping for expecting. And so I think, you know, part of you know talking trash is you got to make plays and I haven't made as many plays as I would like but I would say right now I'm feeling a lot better so hopefully the second half of this season there'll be more winning games and winning plays and more trash talk and practice <laughs> <laughs> well it sounded like you had a pretty good relationship with your teammates in San Sebastian and yeah. you even motivated them yeah. to you know we're at practice we're going to work hard we're going to get after it and we're going to be friends afterwards but as, while we're between these lines yeah. I'm going to push you we practiced so hard in Sevilla and in San Sebastian and we had just two incredible groups of guys where that was just very common and so each year you have to kind of figure it out like we have a little more veteran group this year that maybe is a little different with that and trash talk might be a little out of place so you kind of have to feel that out I guess sure um all right we're getting to the end here finally any advice that you would give to younger guys and gals that are coming over to play overseas as far as how to be successful on the court and off the court because I don't know what your opinion is but hmm. playing overseas is probably more than just basketball yeah. um, how, how do you have a rounded successful experience you know that's a good question because I think one of my regrets is having not really picked up the language here in Spain having been here for four years and I think walking over here I realized that everybody learns different and I don't really learn by um not, I'm more of a visual you kind of got to teach me so like I, I wish I would have taken a class early on and you hear it a lot like you know invest in the culture and spend time getting to know your your city and things like that and I do I totally agree with those things but um, I would argue more than anything is just invest in the relationship with your teammates because my experience is some of my best friends all come from teams whether it was little league high school college 
and even had some of my pro teammates at my wedding this summer. Um, you know, pro teammates from overseas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I would, I would say those moments are probably what I'll miss most when I retire. It's like today after practice, just sitting with Kevin, Nimi, Lucas, and even Javi today was. Those are the moments I think I'll miss the most, and so I would say cherish cherish the moments with teammates like hopefully you're on a team where everybody gets along and i know that's not entirely possible but i think for the most part there'll be a couple people you definitely get along with and people that you know maybe you don't but you need to learn about them and hear more about their story and why they play or what their hopes are and things like that because it really is a unique thing to get to play professional sport in another country and for some people it's their own country but you might as well learn as much as you can while you're here and this question, this next question kind of piggybacks on that, but how would you say that playing overseas has contributed to your overall growth as a human being? I would say it's contributed a lot in the terms of giving me a way bigger perspective of the world, way bigger perspective of who I am in this, in this giant world, and I would say a lot more gratitude for what I've been able to experience for the last five, six years to live in different places in Europe and take that home and you know I don't know Spanish but I can order at a restaurant things like that and so that's very cool for my friends to get to see and um, I've seen some beautiful places in Europe and got to learn about you know the history and World War One, World War Two, and even way before that like when I was in Rome for a, a trip um, just the early Christianity history and things like that so um, I'm very, very, very grateful that I got out of San Diego and kind of got to see how big this world is because it's given me a great ap- appreciation for what I had back home, but also that, you know, I'm not the center of the universe. San Diego is not the center of the universe, and there's a lot of people out here who, um, you know, created with purpose and deserve to be loved, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've done a great job because I see your pictures on Instagram every now and then, but you're, the, you're an athlete that goes to practice probably is very tired but then in your free time you have gotten to see Madrid mm-hmm. you've gone to the parks you've gone to um, I don't know there was an international church service that you yeah. went to that's really close to where yeah. I live that I had never been to and oh. I actually finally went with Nadia the other oh, day oh really yes and enjoyed it um, Prince of Pia, yeah, yeah. and you, like you said before you went to some concentration camps yeah. in Poland yeah. and that I think is part of the whole deal with playing overseas it's like take advantage of yeah. the cities you're in and the people and the food and try it and get out of your apartment because there are people that spend a lot of time yeah. within the four walls of their bedroom and yeah. they don't get out so i'm proud of you thank and, you and i have to defend you a little bit about the spanish because you were playing in san sebastian madrid and sevilla and in san sebastian they speak basque in madrid castellano yeah. spanish and in sevilla that southern accent is really <laughs> so i mean you haven't had it that easy and I, I blame the Americans. I've had so many American teams. This is the first True. year where I'm the only American. So um, I like to blame that. But part of it is I I know I need to just sign up for a class and have someone teach me the rules. Well, and you're from San Diego. Didn't you have a lot of, like, Spanish I was a uh, more or less. I don't like to say the word minority because I think it's a little weird. But, like, I was technically a minority. Like, our, our school was majority ethnically Mexican um, in, in high school. And we were a very, very big high school. So, like, I grew up in diversity, grew up very close to Mexico and I know I will say though that type of Spanish is entirely different than what's over here very true very true is that why you guys were so good at baseball it's a good question I'm not sure San Diego's known for base I I personally believe it's because we don't have winter 
so you can play baseball year-round, and I'm sure that also helps, but um, I feel like that's a huge advantage in a yeah. sport like that where you can be outside year-round. Yeah. I would agree. However, I do think my brothers and I were pretty good. <laughs> 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 and we're from Minnesota. Oh, I'm not, I'm not bashing you guys. <laughs> All right, rapid fire. Uh, jersey number and why? Uh, normally one, um, because when I went to the University of San Diego, they I asked for seven, 30, three, and they all said no, and I just went with one, and such an amazing experience there that I just like to keep it. Okay. Um, your go-to bread and butter move on the court? Ooh. Just shoot it? I mean, <laughs> catch literally catch and shoot. Like, I think if there's a move, I'd prefer to be able to cross over left to right, um, but... I've noticed that I, I don't know. My role is always such that the first shot is always catch and shoot. So okay. just let it fly. But if you have to put the ball on the ground, crossover, no step back, just quick cross, shot. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there a food product or any other type of product that you bring over with you from the States that you know that you're not going to be able to find here? Uh, used to be Cholula, but I found it here at this El Corte Inglés that we're standing in. So What's I probably Cholula? Sh- you know it? Wow. You were definitely Midwest. Um, it's like hot sauce. Ah. Like growing up in San Diego, we had the Mexican food, the burritos, the tacos, all that. So it throw Cholula on everything. Okay. Um, used to be peanut butter, but they got that out here now too. Um, uh, Montreal steak seasoning, I'd say. Okay. And there's one other thing that you're not saying right now, and maybe you're embarrassed to say it, but I thought it was hilarious the first time you told me this. What was it? It's a hygiene product. Oh, face, uh, face wash? Nope. Body wash. It goes under your armpits. Oh, deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> My mom just stalked me up when she was in uh, London. When I was in London. What's then. the yeah. brand? Uh, Red Zone. But I don't understand. Like, they don't do deodorant out here. I don't know if it's... Red Zone, is it the white or is it the like white. the clear? Anti-perspirant because I sweat a lot, so I need that. Um, the white stuff that smells really good and lasts a while. Okay. And you can't find that here, huh? No. Uh, I actually have found it, but it's way more expensive than back home in the States. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um... Any fun Spanish word that you have learned or that you like to say? Um, Felipe told me that I'm like Luka Doncic and that when I know certain words, I like to just make fun of people with the words I know, like tonto or something like that. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I'd probably say, yeah, i just say tonto or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, three things on your bedside table. Uh, charger. Right now, I have a projector <laughs> um, and a water bottle. Okay. Favorite board game and TV show as a little kid? Okay, board game, something between Clue and... I didn't love Monopoly, but I played it a bit. So I'd probably say Clue. And then TV show, wow. SpongeBob? Wow. Hard to beat SpongeBob. I watched a lot of SpongeBob. Wow, see, I am too old. I'd never watch Spongebob as a little kid. I killed that one. But I also, like, really loved, like, Boy Meets World. And, like, I liked Full House, but it was a little after me. And uh, what was the other amazing... Even Stevens was good. Um, You were born 1992. 
All right, you made it to the end of the interview. Sound quality differences and all. Thank you for sticking with us. And because you made it this far, I'm assuming you enjoyed listening to Johnny's story. Honestly, I'm still in a bit of shock thinking that this lethal scorer had just one lonely scholarship offer coming out of high school. And look at him now. That same drive and determination that got him through college and led him to break school three-point shooting records has carried him to a professional basketball career overseas, where he has seen the world and made strong connections with guys he'll probably stay in contact with for many years to come. Hard work, faith, passion, discipline, and a good attitude can in fact get you places in life. Who would have thought, right? (laughs) All right, everyone, that's all for this week. You're free to go about your day, but before you go, do me a quick little favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Five stars. (laughs) It'll take you just a second, and believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. All right, everyone, signing off for this week. I am your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego!